Section 7 of In Italy with the 332nd Infantry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In Italy with the 332nd Infantry by Joseph L. Lettow. Chapter 6 Cormans austria from cormons to treviso on arriving at cormons at the close of november twelfth the regiment pitched tents in the field close to town regimental headquarters and the detachment found a two-story building cleaned it as usual and occupied it the next morning was spent in ransacking the place which from the maps pamphlets and books had evidently been the headquarters of the austrian police one of the books found was called strafprocess and was written in question and answer form seemingly for the guidance of the police in examining questionable people in the yard of the building we found several rifles and much ammunition the curious thing about the rifles was an inscription on the steel barrel which read republicana mexicana the boys in the companies had found a storehouse full of guns knives and other implements of warfare and had collected quite a few souvenirs but the officers heard about it and ordered everything replaced during the day the companies were marched to a barracks a short distance from town this barracks is reputed to have been built by the austrians in eighteen thirty two it was a decided improvement over pub tents since the weather was very cold damp and raw it was difficult for americans to procure fuel so a barracks was imperative cormons has a population of about six thousand and is a lively place for its size while many italians live here german is spoken in most of the stores in those owned by austrians we were very coolly treated and one could readily see the glow of resentment beneath the sullen stairs however with many italian troops in the vicinity beside our own no serious outbreak was feared nevertheless the losers were by no means paralyzed for one night a train full of italian refugees was thrown from the tracks with serious consequences due to malicious tampering with the rails again on another night our tranquil existence was thrilled by the clang of a fire-bell running to the street we saw a primitive manpower hose cart being pulled down the street following this we came to the scene of the fire which was one of the wings of a war hospital it was the only wooden building in town and fortunately was unoccupied the flames were beyond control of the fire department whose efforts consisted in trying to keep the fire from spreading to the other parts of the building of course this fire was attributed to the austrians with a german signature to the armistice the war ended for us some dream that for them the famous saying heaven hell or hoboken by christmas would come true it was intolerable to think that we would not be on the way at that time little drilling was done only the necessary chores were performed for the rest we awaited orders and wrote letters at this time the mail came in regularly and the news from home helped to pass the weary hours of waiting my buddy pulled through the long march somehow 
but a few days after reaching Cormans, he complained of chills, and his body shook even while he sat next to a fire. We urged him to see the doctor, a few doors away, whose chief occupation these days seemed to be feeding wood to the adjutant's stove. He hesitated. I believe he feared that he would be sent to the damp, gloomy hospital at Udine, away from all his friends. His condition showed no improvement. When his temperature was taken by a medical sergeant, it was so high that the sergeant tagged him flu and sent him to the hospital. It was the last time we saw him alive. This good pal who had been too plucky to drop out on the march when he must have felt that the march was killing him. There was much influenza in Cormons, within the regiment and among the natives. We were made aware of this latter fact by the almost daily procession of priests, acolytes, mourners, and bearers carrying the corpses which passed our door. In the hospital at Udine, five of our lads had died in four days, and many in the regiment had heavy colds, which caused much concern. The climate was miserably raw and cold. A novel and pleasant way to beat the flu, as practiced by some of the boys, was to keep their bodies warm with frequent doses of cognac. When the regiment was at Vallejo, the subject of grapes was mentioned. During the maneuvers in the trenches with the Arditi, grapes were stolen from vineyards, and the owners of these vineyards turned in bills for something like 24,000 lires, about $4,000, against the Americans. Our claim officer would not agree to pay this amount, and he succeeded in having it lowered about one-half. Every man and officer was obliged to contribute. Officers were charged five lires, non-commissioned officers four lires, and privates three lires. Some of us never saw the vineyards. Others had no objection to the tax. This was but one of the many claims presented. The Italian attitude seemed to be that all Americans were millionaires, and that it was their duty to get all they could from the Americans while the getting was good. On November 18th, the 3rd Battalion packed up and entrained for Fiumi to do international police duty. Gone then were the glimmering hopes of an early departure, for the rumor persisted and seemed to have foundation that the 1st Battalion and headquarters were bound for Triste. However, so I heard, the colonel prevailed against the American mission at Padua, that our place was in Treviso, where our supplies lay in warehouses. Accordingly, early Sunday morning, November the 24th, with great joy in our hearts, we were ready for the return to Treviso. The companies were to walk, despite the thousands of Italian trucks standing idle. However, the packs were put upon American trucks so that they were unburdened, to that extent. Headquarters detachment was fortunate in being allowed to ride upon the trucks which carried the office equipment and some officers' bedding rolls. The trip was one to be remembered. When we started, the day was pleasantly brisk but not cold. Leaving at eight o'clock, we traveled without adventure until we reached the Livenza River. Here the bridge had been blown up and a platoon had been built in its place. When we started across, an Italian lieutenant stopped us, saying that the pontoon was not strong enough for our heavy trucks. All argument was of no avail. We were in a strange country, and to make a detour of several miles, as he suggested, 
would cause us endless trouble even while we talked an italian truck crossed the pontoon towing a second truck we pointed to the two trucks crossing at one time but we received only his maddening smile and a refusal some of the boys in the party were in favor of emulating one of our sergeants who during our advance was bringing food to us as the story goes the sergeant's trucks were approaching a pontoon when an italian colonel ran out with arms wildly waving while he voiced a loud refusal the sergeant was a man of few words he knew that the regiment was in need of food and he thought the pontoon was strong enough having faith in his judgment and cause he displayed his automatic and motioning the trucks forward backed the colonel across the whole pontoon the pontoon creaked and trembled under the heavy trucks but fortunately no mishap occurred our errand was not so urgent so we turned about feeling very bitter as this appeared to be just another instance of that antagonism to which we had been subjected by the italians since the day of the armistice after following the river for five or six miles we came to a bridge and crossed it was now nearly dark and we should have been approaching treviso with evening the weather grew colder and as a pleasure party our trip was a failure we reached the piave soon after and successfully crossed the creaking pontoon however we had not gone a hundred yards beyond when as we were climbing a hill both trucks stopped upon investigating we learned that both had run out of gasoline it was a peculiar coincidence on either side of us were damp clay embankments and all about was darkness what should we do we were in a strange country and in a poor part of that so far as replenishing our gasoline supply went we thought we could borrow a can from one of the many passing italian fiats but no one seemed to have an extra can meanwhile someone rooting around among the packs and boxes on our truck found a three-gallon can of gasoline but that would not take us to treviso which we were told was twenty miles away we again resumed our efforts to beg gasoline from the italians but when some time had passed without our efforts being rewarded the boys in loud voices told the countryside what they thought of the italian nation in general and these italian drivers in particular about this time we noticed a can of gasoline in the rear of a truck which had stopped close by however when we edged near to lift the gasoline the driver suspected and moved the can fresh outbursts of american oratory hailed this failure but out of the din rose a voice speaking the american language with a slight accent and the voice asked who wants gasoline before the speaker could have changed his mind a half dozen answered here as he came nearer we saw he had a five-gallon can we thanked this italian who had been to america loaded him down with cigarettes and poured the gasoline into our truck with eight gallons we felt we could make treviso bidding farewell to the occupants of the other truck with the promise of speedy relief we set forth without a map we stumbled onward in the darkness we had traveled several miles along a dark road when upon reaching the inn we perceived a river but no bridge or pontoon it was a delicate task to turn the large truck in the narrow road retracing our tracks we set out again fearful now that our gasoline would become exhausted 
to add to the discomfort the snow fell and the night grew very cold however we were on the right road and at ten p m we entered the gate at treviso during this time the companies were walking to treviso on the first day of this tiresome march they covered twenty-seven kilometers at seven the next morning the march was continued without a rest for the noon meal and at five p m another thirty-five kilometers were passed here the tired footsore lads went into billets until seven a m of the twenty-seventh when the march was resumed and thirty-eight more kilometers were marched on november twenty-eighth thanksgiving day they enjoyed a dinner of slum and reached Osson, a suburb of treviso at four twenty p m the distance marched this day was thirty-two kilometers end of section seven